0: The B.S. Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature
1: subjects. The B.S. Report. The B.S. Report with Bill Simmons.
2: Welcome to the B.S. Report, taping this on a Monday, right before Monday Night Raw, and six days before WrestleMania. You were the guy who created WrestleMania, basically. Hulk Hogan, you were the, you were the uh, marquee match. And it, I got to say, I was, I was single, and I was 15 years old. And WrestleMania One was like one of the highlights of my life up until that point. You and Mr. T against Piper and Orton. Um, did you ever think it would get to the point where it was like WrestleMania pay-per-views, all that stuff? Did you see that in your head when you came
0: back?
1: Well, let me let me straighten you out a little bit. I was one of the guys that created. There was no guy named Come Vince, well, Vince McMahon. Well, they created it for you. <laughs> that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, uh, I, I had I had found something. I'd found a crazy lightning bolt. You know, this WrestleMania yeah. thing and the timing with saying i was from dennis beach california really from florida and the tan and act at the time i had a full head of blonde hair and <laughs> the all-american you know just the whole training the prayers and vitamins gimmick was something i believed in even though you know that was the gimmick it wasn't the man at the time but it yeah. made the man a better person but as the years went along but i never dreamed that when we did wrestlemania one and we had everything on the line and vincent leveraged everything he owns just to pull the event off. I never dreamed at the time that 31 years later it would be the premier sports entertainment event generating billions of dollars worldwide with a yeah. 24-hour network and Hulk Hogan would be named. And Hulk Hogan would be known in every single foreign country around the world, everywhere. It, yeah. was, it's just, it was just, I never dreamed it would happen. So I started
2: watching wrestling, I'm going to say 79, 80, somewhere in there. And at some point you showed up as a bad guy. Yeah. And you was, were, and you were there for, what, about a year, year and a half. And you had a the whole arc with, I think Andre. Yeah. And, uh, but you never won the title, but you were, <laughs> you were the bad guy. But then all of a sudden Rocky three happens. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my God, Hulk Hogan, he's in Rocky three. This is amazing. And that was, I think the best 10 minutes of any Rocky movie, the thunder lips. Thing. I agree.
1: I, it was just
2: an amazing 10 minutes. Like if you watch it, it still holds up 32 years
1: later. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, you know, I did, uh Start out, start out as a bad guy yeah. when I worked for Vince McMahon Sr. It was the WWWF, Worldwide right. Wrestling Federation, three W's. And I lasted a couple of years. And, you know, I loved Vince Sr. God bless his soul. I yeah. was his guy. He, he kept me correct and kept me on track when I was younger and running around and getting this break of wrestling in Madison Square Garden. And then when I did the Rocky movie, Vince fired me. Vince Sr. fired me. Oh, he fired you once you got the part? Yeah. Well, I told him I was going to do it. And he said, no, you're not. And then I said, yeah, because I watched Rocky 1 and 2, and I was like, oh, my God, if I could just push a broom in those movies. Yeah, yeah. And when I told him I was going to do it, he goes, no, you're not. And I didn't realize there was that much tension, but when I told him I was leaving, the mindset back in the day was if you're a wrestler, you're a wrestler, and you don't do – tv and you don't do commercials and if someone says wrestling's fake you punch them out and knock them out or if they say hey that was a great show you knock them out no lawyers no cell phones no cameras no lawsuits it was a way 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 barbaric mindset back in the day such as the day i wanted to be a wrestler and i told the wrestlers hey i want to try this they broke my leg the first day you know so it's it's changed and evolved a lot over the years in the last 35 years but the funny thing is
2: it would have been the absolute best thing for the WWF for you to be in Rocky Three. Oh, it was. The that, was.
1: which I'm surprised Vince is so smart. I'm surprised he didn't see that. Well, no, no. If you fast forward a couple of years after the Rocky movie. I when spent, you came back. I spent a lot of time in Japan Yeah. because I love wrestling in Japan. And then if you fast forward three years, I was wrestling in Minnesota, and I had figured this Hulkamania thing out in Minnesota with AEW and Vern Gagne. So when I got a call from Vince McMahon... It was Vince McMahon's son, Vince, who runs the company now. Yeah. And he had a different vision. And he flew to Minnesota to talk to me where I was living. And we talked till 5 in the morning. He said, you know, there's never been another guy like you that's had this type of momentum, that has this type of entertainment value, and this type of appeal and charisma. And I want to take you and launch this new brand and this new vision. And Vince actually, in 1983, laid out to me that we're going to go worldwide. It's going to be a global juggernaut. It's going to be a phenomenon. And blah, blah. And, he, and I looked at him like, you know, you know, what's in your water? Give me some, you know. But he had this vision laid out. And when I went back to work and Vince took over from his dad, that's when the transition happened. So Rocky two had already happened at that Rocky point. Three, it Rocky three had already happened. Or Rocky 3 I'm sorry. Yeah, Rocky yeah. three had already happened. But a lot of the stuff that Vince was doing as he moved along, Vince would just joke, you know, and he would say, oh, man, my – my dad would be rolling over in his grave if he knew we were bringing an actor into the ring like Mr. T or Carl Malone or somebody like that. So Vince had this vision, and now his father, I guarantee you, is smiling and looking right. down on him and really happy you know, on how this greatness that Vince has achieved for all of us. So when you went to – I was always fascinated when you
2: went to Japan because you had a lot of success in the WWF for you know a year or so, and then you disappeared. Yeah. It was like, where did Hulk Hogan go? And you, Meanwhile, you're in Japan. The only way to even know what you're up to was they had those wrestling magazines that were once yeah. a month. And you'd be like, Hulk Hogan's
1: feuding with this
2: guy or that guy.
1: Didn't you feud with Andre over there, too? Yeah. Well, what a lot of people didn't realize is the man that broke my leg the very first day was a guy named Hiro Matsuda. Okay. He was a big six foot four Japanese guy that, you know, was a very, very intense shooter and amateur wrestler, Hiro yep. Matsuda. So he broke me in the business. And after he broke my leg, they thought they'd never see me again. when I came back, I became like his favorite son because I was there helping him train people and yeah. you know, do the dirty deeds back in the day. So the whole time when you saw me, and I was a bad guy in 78, 79, 80, I was flying to Japan. Like, if I had two days off, I'd blow to Japan and wrestle just one day. Yeah, Vince McMahon Sr. would let me go for three, four, sometimes five weeks on the tours there. And, uh, you know, they had Shinopon Pro Wrestling, New Japan over there. So I was always going to Japan all the time. And I was single at the time, so I had no one to answer to. So I, was, I just loved the business so much. I was always back and forth. Right. And that going to Japan full-time ended about 87, 88. After the WrestleMania 1 or WrestleMania 2 and WrestleMania 3 took off, it got so intense with the work schedule with Vince McMahon and the WWE, WWF back then, that I couldn't keep going. I right. was Hulkamania running wild, the champ. And, they, and I, it was just like every single building we went to every night was just crazy.
2: Yeah, I was going to high school in in uh Connecticut back then. When you were right there in Stanford. Mm-hmm. And I remember sometime in the middle of all that it was at the Stanford Mall and you were there. <laughs> and it was this three, I think it was a three-story mall. Yeah, it was. And word word spread that you were there and it was like just this this herd of kids. Almost a little like Rocky 2 and Rocky 2 when Rocky's running through yeah. Philly and the kids start following him. So all of a sudden, there's just this massive kids just falling. You're going to I don't know some sports store and then some mm-hmm. other store. and People are just kind of like this, but that must have been what your life was like back then. Everywhere you went, right?
1: I mean, I'm sure it still is now. To yeah, some degree. Uh, you should have came to the L.A. airport with me last night. <laughs> yeah. It was insane when I got the baggage line. But um,
2: well, back that, but back then it wasn't. People weren't 24 seven celebrities like they are now. It's like we only sure. on TV. Yeah. To see you outside of my television set or MSG was like, oh, my God, there he is. Right,
1: right. Well, it's it's really actually more intense than ever now because of the social media. And WWE has a 24-hour network now that it kind of like gave me another lightning bolt. To ride on. I mean, when I was the champion, you know, there was only one vehicle, just TV. Yeah. But now, these kids are going on YouTube and watching me slam the giant. They're watching WrestleMania 1. They're going back and watching all my matches in Japan where I would really get down and wrestle the way they taught me to wrestle. There's no ear stuff and tearing the shirt. It was actually the heavy duty wrestling in Japan, you know, the way I was broken in. So people now, the kids now, you know, that are like five and six years old, go, You're my favorite wrestler. I don't even wrestle anymore. But it's uh, it's really cool because I think um, it's much more intense than it ever's been ever has been because of all the different vehicles you can see me on. It's funny you mention that because my seven year old son, who loves wrestling, who's Mm -hmm.
2: really the reason I'm going to do raw tonight because it's going to be like one of the great moments of his life. Um, He
1: knows I'm going to be raw tonight because you're still a kid at heart.
2: Well, and that too, but he's going to be excited for it. But uh, he's seen a lot of your matches. Wow, that's cool. And. YouTube and WWE Network, and how easy it is to surf around, he's been able to catch up on it. But I didn't know he was doing it because sometimes when you're a parent, something you're like, Hey, give the kid the iPad for an hour or whatever. Yeah, and he's in there. And so, one time I wanted to show him the Andre match from mm-hmm. WrestleMania 3. And he's like, Oh, I know this one. He picks him up, and he and I was like, You're seven, like you were <laughs> That's cool. like, How do you know this one? But he's it's so easy to catch up with all that stuff. And then the other thing is, you can watch one, and there's five more right next to it. Right, right, you know, and it just kind of compounds itself. So when you came back, we have that tape actually. Your first appearance, I remember watching this, and nobody knew you were going to be on. It wasn't like now on the internet where they leak stuff and people know. Right. There's somebody might show up at whatever. Bob Backlund, who had just had the title, I think, for like what five years, yes, he had just lost yes. it to the Sheik. Um, he's doing a one-on-two match against the Samoans. Nobody knows you're backstage, and then. And this was your first comeback, right? Right, it sure was. It was when my, was the last time you saw this? Oh, my gosh, dude. I haven't <laughs> seen this for probably 30 years. This is insane. People are going, there's one guy who just won't stop jumping up and down on the thing. It's like, people definitely, I feel like the crowds were crazier back then.
1: Yeah, do you, you think? You could tell I didn't have the gimmick figured out yet, otherwise I'd be tearing the shirt off having a place crazy. No, there was
2: no, there was no, uh, there no tearing off, and... I think people are also confused because the last time you left, you were doing bad guy things.
1: Yeah. Uh, but now you're a Rocky Three guy. Yeah, they're very forgiving. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, you can drop down your knees and repent and beg for forgiveness, and they'll, they, they will readily accept you back quickly. All right, now you're going to come in because the Samoans have decided to turn on Bob Backlund. Yeah, and those Samoan guys were my best friends. Oh, were they? Yeah, were they those good yeah. guys? Yeah, they were, we lived off uh, Exit 42 in uh, West Haven. Yeah. In the same apartment building. And yeah, I'd, I'd known these guys for a few years, and they were like my best buddies. Actually, the one guy, uh, I don't know which one it was, I can't tell, but one of one of the guys in there, Sika, that's Roman Reigns' dad. You're right. Yeah. I forgot that. Yeah. Okay, so. Um, on the far left, right there, around in the corner, that's Sika. On the floor. Grabbing back on his foot, that's Sika. Is that's, he still around? Hell yeah. Yeah, he'll be at WrestleMania.
2: It's, it's amazing how many legacy... How many legacy kids there are with wrestling? Like, you think about... Oh, here's the promo you did. Remember you asked, you said you hadn't thought about tearing the shirt off? Backlund sells you, and then this was...
0: He's a great man! He's me
2: He basically passed the torch to you
0: right here. I would like to Mr. Bob the for bringing the back. like they said, this definitely didn't have the Hulk wrapped down yet. It's coming now just check it out man it just it just turns me on brother me Gene, it just turns me on and i'm going to the top of the ladder and i thank each and every one of you
1: for bringing the holster back to your daddy huh. so daddy a little southern draw there when did daddy, you figure daddy. out when did you figure out the gimmick how long did it take well i thought i had to figure it figured out but apparently not um <laughs> i spent three years in minnesota trying to figure out this right Hulkamania but thing. you
2: said there you, had, you didn't feel like it was well there no yet.
1: not i mean you know Tear it slow. Let me tell you something, brother. Still, so I was talking like I was in Memphis, Tennessee there. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it took a while to kind of like uh, dial it in and fine-tune it. Um, it, it Probably, t- you know, I saw some matches after this, and it actually took me, after I won the championship from the Iron Sheik and really got in my groove, it took me about a year to really get it down to a science to where I could make, just hold the people in the palm of my hand, you know. Right. It took a while to get there. What was the... I mean, you you got insane pops
2: back then. But I find it hard to believe you didn't have a crazier crowd than when you won the title from The Sheik, which was really only like a nine-minute match. But it was like you come out, everybody's going nuts. And then it just stayed that way for 10 minutes. You won the title. Everybody goes even crazier. Was that the loudest
1: crowd or was there a louder no, one? No, no. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, the crowd that was really loud, but I couldn't judge it, was the Andre the Giant. Because so many people. 000. Yeah, they were yeah. Old, when they were going, Hogan. It was almost like a sea, a wave that was uncoordinated, with so many people. Like, ho, 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 ho. And <laughs> wow. you couldn't really. It was deafening, deafening in there. But the place where it was the loudest that I ever heard was WrestleMania 18, when I wrestled The Rock. Oh yeah, that was and, a great moment. And he started punching me, and they started booing really loud. And then when I stuck my thumb in his eye, and I started punching him back, the place exploded and went crazy cheering. You know, so that was weird. That was weird. That was a, a great sports moment. Yeah, that, that was a moment where the people made a statement that no promoter, no wrestler is going to tell us who to cheer or boo for. We've got a mind of our own. Right. Yeah. I, I
2: watched most of your matches that were on TV. Because the other thing, when living in Connecticut, um, you could see the MSG cards every month. Oh, that's right. The Garden Network, yeah. So I watched you win the title live. And, you know, with some of those ones from the 80s, which I wish they would put more of them on the network. I think my favorite one ever that you were in was Slaughter and Sheik had like a boot camp match,
1: and oh, uh,
2: it ended with Slaughter just taking his taking the Sheik's boot and just basically knocking him out. But the crowd, oh, bye, 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 bye. the crowd, went, it was like kind of the height of that USA versus Sheik yeah. type stuff. But that, but all of those matches were phenomenal. But I remember one of your best ones. You probably I don't know if you remember this one. You did a tag team with Oakland it oh, was yeah. somewhere in weird it was like minneapolis yeah yeah, yeah yeah i remember it and it was like you were at your apex and you had to carry him as the part i forget who you're wrestling and you basically and you had had your whole thing figured out at that george point. george
1: animal steel and maybe mr fuji sound maybe. yeah sounds
2: right and you you basically okra and you pulled him in at the end and he got but it was just like you know there was like this four-year run but you were working what 12 12 months a year right you have an off season
1: no, no. I mean, you know, we had we had years where we were flying 300 days a year. We had years where we wrestled 400 times a year, you know, twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday, twice on Wednesdays. I mean, I I remember several times hitting uh, the Philadelphia Spectrum at 1 o'clock and it being sold out, then driving up to New York in the Garden being sold out the same night. Right. And then the very next day, I remember going to the Boston Gardens at 1 in the afternoon. It was sold out and getting on a plane and flying to the L.A. Coliseum and wrestling LA that night it was sold out so we I was hitting two days a lot back then and you're not
2: flying first class or charters or any of that stuff back then right a lot of times coach Mm -hmm. connecting it got better
1: the thing was when you first saw me in 78 when I went up to work for Vincenia we drove everywhere so if you were wrestling in uh, Fall River Mass you know and you had to be in uh, Chicago the next night you drove you get out of the ring and drive 12 or 14 hours all night long yeah you know, I mean, so, it you know, a couple Samoans in the car, you know, four or five 300-pound guys and, you know, 1,000, 1,500 miles to drive, and you just got it done.
2: Right. I remember Hacksaw got arrested once with, I think, the Sheik. Sheik. Yeah. They were feuding, but they were in the car together. Yeah. And it was like, all right, this is weird, but— Maybe there's maybe he saw him on the road and had to give him a ride. Like you're trying to justify, like for whatever reason they were hanging yeah. out as buddies. But yeah, yeah that but was
1: I, that was a that was a cardinal. Uh oh, shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't have done that.
2: Who was your closest? Like in the '80s, who was your who were your people? Who were your who was your entourage? Who were well, you hanging? Oh man,
1: with? I was. You know, it's just like I had a, a friend named Brutus Beefcake that. Oh, yeah. I grew up with his the barber. His his uh, sister went to high school with me. Brutus was a couple of years behind. So, whenever so we, that's
2: why you always looked out for him. Yeah. You so, him you know,
1: whenever we'd leave for the beach on Saturday, Brutus was a younger guy. We'd say, we're leaving at 10 in the morning. We'd leave at eight. We'd right. always leave him behind. Then he grew up and he got a little bit older and he was cool. We started working out and I hung out with Brutus and then probably Brutus went different ways. He wrestled in yeah. Portland and diff, uh, for Bill Watts in uh, Oklahoma. But the guy in the eighties that I really spent most of my time with was Randy Savage. Yeah. And for some reason, him and I clicked. He lived probably two minutes away from my house in Clearwater. Um, We did everything together. So we had 15, 16, I don't know, could have been 18. No, not 18. Probably 15 or 16 years were because of the the WWE and our schedules. I mean, we were together constantly, you know, and working out and riding motorcycles on boats and just jet skis whenever we were together. So I got to know Randy very well.
2: What what was his normal voice
1: like? Just like this, brother, you Hogan, you got lust in your eyes for this. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, just like that, always. That was him. You know, we might have th- we might have that Randy Savage clip actually. I might have queued that one up. Can you show that one? Because this is one of my favorite wrestling moments of all time. And also, I think both of you guys. I think Savage at
0: least.
2: So this man, is you guys were the we Mega Powers in the over you?
0: Leave me out there? What what you down, man? know an accident. you This is a good end. You're wrong, man. You're, you're wrong. You're right. You're right. You're, right. you're right away. Well, Let me tell you why you're right. You got to Jealousize is right really great. Jealous eyes. Cause you're a former champion. is just I was tearing you. Know, I'm not number three in the Mega powers. I'm number one. You guys oh, got you me know, in the back. You're yeah. yeah. Hold just slow down, man. Hold on, slow down. Wait a minute. you're And you guys set this up for
2: like eight months.
0: You shot. You know why? You know why, Elizabeth? Because you can't You're wrong, don't touch me. can no, you didn't come at me like a man. You are jealous because I'm the World you're Wrestling Federation champion wrestling. now. And I'm going to be a long time from now. My no, heart's wrong,
2: pounding just, just like it did 25 no, years no, ago. I'm going
0: to tell you what you're wrong about more than anything else. No, I'm going to tell you what you're wrong about more than anything else. I can take anything. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Those eyes right there those
2: eyes jealous eyes for
0: you're hey, stand you, know, you got, my you're you got for elizabeth right there i don't think he was totally
2: wrong, just just wrong just the way they were the, the, way the way some
0: of the, the matches went that would be okay you're you're try and talk oh, some
1: man, this your first hospital match I don't know what happened from here. This is crazy. So you haven't seen this in a while? No, dude. I haven't seen any of this for a while. Oh, this is great. I'm so glad We're we had this.
0: Uh-oh.
1: Oh, no. Oh,
2: God. Ground and What are you
0: doing now? What are you Brutus. Doing? He came to save you. here. So.
2: Wow.
1: Wow. That's strong. Wow. Some
2: incredible Macho Man performance.
1: Yeah, he's unbelievable. The thing was, he was that intense in everything he did, whether it was working out or riding jet skis or that was him, man. And that's what I dug about him because, you know, and not just being the guy trying to make the money, but let's talk business first. You want to make some money with somebody? He's the guy. Yeah. Because he lived that gimmick. I mean, 24 hours a day, there was none of this stuff where, okay, I'm doing the clown during the day. Then at night I'm Terry and I'm, yeah, uh, I'm, or I'm, you know, Brutus Beefcake during the day. And then at night I'm Eddie Leslie or during the day i carry a snake around but then at night you know i don't he was the macho man yeah you know 24 hours a day and there were no holes in his boat man he he drew nothing but money and he in in-ring performer he was there i mean it's like saying what can i depend on every single moment of the day you know that you know my heart's gonna be pounding i'm gonna breathe air and that randy's gonna be randy you didn't have to worry about it. Randy was going to be Randy, and he was intense. And they had—I
2: mean, this was a recurring storyline for you, right, during the mid '80s, where you had the guy you were friends with, and he turned on you. Like everyone, for, the Paul Orndorff angle was great. Yeah, he was—I think the first
1: one where you, you know,
2: pal, you were buddies. Paul
1: Driver was a little snug. I'll say that.
2: <laughs> oh, it was a little R- close. Yeah. Uh oh,
1: that was a close one.
2: Um, where <laughs> somebody got jealous of you. They were buddies with you, but they started to resent you, and you didn't see it yet. But everyone else saw it, and it would lead to something.
1: But it was so pure because it was, it was so simple. You didn't have to go into weeks and weeks and weeks of painting some crooked line picture. Yep. I mean, it was just so easy, and it worked so well. I and mean, it all had to do with. And I don't mean this to sound pompous at all, but it 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 takes two to tango, and when you have two guys that are over, yeah, yeah, you know, I could go in the ring and just point at you like randy pointed at me and the building would erupt right i can go in the ring and point at a guy and if nothing happens i'm going oh man we're in for a long night or if i tell a wrestler kick me when the bell rings instead of locking up and they kick me in the gut and get some heat which means start beating on me if i can hear that building rumble yeah we're going to tear this place down if i tell somebody to kick me in the gut and start pounding on me and it sounds like a funeral we're in trouble so yeah. who are some of the best ones that
2: you could just feel like together there would <clears> be the <throat> rumble i'm sure match i it's wonderful like who else
1: Piper, Piper all amazing. day long. Yeah, Piper. Uh, people, he
2: drove people crazy.
1: Yeah, he was he good. Was, I think he was the best bad guy ever. He was good. I he think, knew how I to think, work I the I, crowd. I disagree. I think Hollywood Hogan was the best bad guy ever. Nah, you're not a bad guy. You don't count. Yeah, but I did some evil stuff. I you, know, would, you did. If you look back at some of that NWO stuff, I was an evil man. I was evil. But no, Piper was great. Uh, Macho <laughs> was great. Andre, always Good guy, bad guy. Always, he's just a draw. He's the giant. He's the real giant. You know, Andre was all day long. Money Orndoff made money with Orndoff. I tell you, a guy, that I did not think it was going to really click with, but it clicked better than almost anybody was Kamala.
2: Really, the, the Ugandan, Ugandan giant. giant. Man, wow,
1: people were scared to death of him. You know, Big Jim that owned the barbecue down in Missouri. They thought he was a real Ugandan headhunter. <laughs> you know, it worked, man. It just, it was great.
2: Wow. Uh, one thing with Macho Man, he took the he took wrestling. I mean, Snooker started this, but uh, you know, took it in the air basically. Oh yeah. And he, I, the eighties were such a cool kind of decade for the transition between. You watch some of those matches from the sixties and seventies, and it's like a three minute armbar. Yeah. You know, and like occasionally somebody might get yeah. thrown off the rope and you might get a clothesline. But I remember watching <clears> Snooker <throat> for the first time and it was like seeing like Michael Jordan or something. Wow. You're we like. Oh, my God. what So you can go up there and you could do that and then Macho Man extended it. And now all of a sudden you had all these different kind of styles, which yeah. was pretty neat. You mentioned Andre, though. I've always been fascinated because nobody ever beat Andre. He was mm-hmm. like the guy. They didn't need him to be the champ because mm-hmm. he was a draw on his own. You right. could send him anywhere. It would be the main event. But he was also indestructible. But it was always one of those things where, oh, if Andre ever went for the title, we all know he'd win. And now everything's leading to WrestleMania Three. Mm-hmm. Nobody' ever seen him get pinned. I've always been fascinated by this part of it. It doesn't seem like even you know you knew whether you were going to win the match or not, even as it was happening right
1: Andre was a little different right you know, i had i had well let me let me do the end of the story first. We yes. became very, very, very good friends, probably the last eight years, nine years really close, really, probably as close as. I've never been with anybody. Really good yeah. friends. But before that, we didn't hit it off. And I think it had a lot to do with me. And I don't want to say anything bad about Andre, but I think maybe he was kind of jealous because there were no big guys. He had the and John St- John, yeah. John Studd, he used to beat the dog poo out of John Studd. And all of a sudden, here comes this young, dumb, blonde-haired guy from Venice Beach, and I actually wanted to be as big as Andre. I was nuts, man. I thought... You know, I'll weigh 300, then I'll wait 350, and then I'll be as big as Andre. And I'll be so big that if somebody beats me, it won't be believable. I was crazy. You yeah. know, I was like, I was such a huge wrestling fan growing up and just loved the business so much that I wanted to be Andre was my hero. Yeah. But I think I came on so strong that he was looking at me like, I think his mindset was, I need to take this kid who loves the wrestling business and teach him a lesson. You were on his corner. What's
2: that? You're on his corner. Well, no, a I think bit. he
1: needed. I think I don't think it was mean spirited, but I think he needed to put me in my place. I'm just thinking like he would, and I think he so. How of, did he do
2: that? How did he put? I you think in he place? needed
1: to put me in my place, and if I really was who I said I was, and I love this business, I was going to have to prove it to him because oh, late 70s, 80s when I used to wrestle Andre, if I was pulling up the Philadelphia Spectrum, I'd pull my car over and I'd get sick, you know, before I'd pull up to the building. I was so nervous. You know, because I knew when I got in that ring, he was going to beat the crap out of me. I mean, you can say whatever you want about sports entertainment nowadays. Back then when Andre didn't like me, he beat the crap out of me in the ring. And so I went through a bunch of that stuff with him for a lot of years. And even though I acted like I was happy and, hey, boss, how are you doing? And I was excited to see. It. I was just, it wasn't fun. And then So
2: the karate chaps are really a karate and chop. And when he
1: jumps up and sits on your chest, you know, and he's six, seven hundred pounds, depending on his health, you yeah, know. Yeah. He was never five hundred pounds. He was never the five hundred pound Andre the Giant. We, we weighed him at Detroit at Detroit at the airport before WrestleMania three. He was like six fifty something, you know. So I mean it's kinda of like Six fifty? Yeah, he was big. I don't know if he was, you know, he just had back surgery and he was yeah. heavy and he went his weight varied, you know. It'd be like you gaining twenty or thirty pounds, body yeah, yeah. rate gained a hundred, it's no big deal. But <laughs> and then I then I think we went to Japan so many times together and we're yeah. always in Japan together and he saw me hustle in Japan. I think in Japan I finally earned his respect because I would go out there and we were the guy jeans, we were the Americans, and it was a different attitude back then. It wasn't, hey, man, you know, we're going to Japan. Let's have fun. We're all friends. We went to Japan. It was like the Americans versus the Japanese. It was intense over there. And I think he saw me, you know, dig and scratch and claw for so many years that I think he went, okay, I'm going to finally lighten up on this guy. But there was a there was definitely a transition. And I knew when it happened. You know, it was after an IWGP uh, tour, International Grand Prix pre-tour where I wrestled Nokia And uh, I think after that match things changed
2: and physically once once we hit like 82 83 84 he, he started to break down a little bit year by year because you watch those late 70s clips of him and he was like athletic like he's jumping up in the air and stuff and i think you could maybe the weight or maybe
1: well, he was fast totally I mean, you know, he was a golden gloves boxer number one yeah and if you hit him and try to run from him he'd catch you he was fast so there was no getting away from him and you know Nobody could beat him. It's just the way it was. How tall was he? Do you think he started out around seven four? Oh, so he really was seven yeah, four. When I first met him, when I was a wrestling fan, he was seven four. Yeah, I think back nineteen seventy six or 75, when I first met him as a fan. Yeah, he was around seven four, and then I think because of his back and his weight and his age, I think you know he started slumping a little bit. So I think he's around seven one. But you had never pinned him before WrestleMania three, had you? No, no. Nobody had pinned him. No.
2: Never happened. No. it was too unrealistic even for WrestleMania? Yeah, it
1: wouldn't wouldn't be
2: believable. So you go into WrestleMania three, his body's breaking down, and they tell him or they tell they tell Andre, look, you know, we, we want you to put Hulk over on this one. Um can you do it?
1: What's his reaction? I don't know if the conversation went like that. What do you, know, how do you think it went? Well, I know Vince McMahon came to my hotel room the night before to talk to me about the match yeah, and asked me what I saw for the match. And I said, well, you know, not knowing what's going to happen at the end, I think this is classic David versus Goliath, you know, that I fight and fight and fight, and he keeps beating me down and beating me down until there gets, gets a spot where I get one up on him and, you know, I make this crazy Hulkamania comeback. So Vince listened to me. We talked and talked, and he goes, I'm going to go over and – Talked to Andre. So, you know, nervous wreck, nervous wreck. And I knew Andre wasn't feeling great, you know, because of the back surgery stuff. And, and uh, the next day, you know, of course, we had to get to the Silver Dome like at noon. You know, 80,000 people, home, yeah. And I kept asking Vince, hey, Vince kept saying, you're going to be okay. Things are going to be okay. And uh, never really knew, you know, because I went and sat in Andre's dressing room. And uh, I So said, you just never had a... So what happens if he kicks out? Then
2: you
0: just get no, dq
1: Then he's going to beat you however he wants to beat you. He'll beat right. you at any moment whenever he wants to. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do about it? Right. So, you know, I went to this dressing room. Oh, sit down, boss. So I sat with him. I could tell, you know, he was, had a heavy heart. He was not feeling great. And we sat and we talked. And every time I'd say something to Andre, hey, Andre, how do you want to start the match up? Don't worry. Okay, brother. You know, then I'd sit and talk for all while. An hour ago, i said, hey, Andre, you know, what do you think about maybe you put the foot up and I duck it, don't worry, you know? And so got to the point, Andre, you know, what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think? What's, don't worry. I was like, oh my God. You know, so it was, it was a different experience, you know, because I've never been in that situation before. Right. You know, but it was cool. He was so kind and so generous and, you know, and believe me, if he didn't want to get slammed, he wouldn't have gotten slammed. We had that clip. Let's show it. Look, you're horrible, man. You got everything. <laughs>
2: Well, of course we're going to have this
1: yeah.
2: um, And he almost pinned you at the beginning of this match which Yeah, Actually, yeah It seemed like the ref almost did it Or uh, wave three So you got 80,000 people right now Going uh, crazy Let me correct you, it was
0: 94,000 94,000 people
2: And now you have to pick him up And you're saying he
1: weighed 600 pounds I, Yeah, he was over Did you think you could do it? I didn't know Oh, I didn't get him the way I wanted to get him. You know, there's picking him up here, and then there's the launch position up right, here. Right, right. I kind of got him here and turned him this way.
2: It's still amazing.
1: Yeah. See, I turned him there. Oh. I, I, I should have got him way up here. Right. But what happened was when I got him up to turn him. Too much weight. i not tore my biceps like here. See those? Oh, you, oh, you see it? Oh. You tore your bicep when you oh, picked him up. You see, you see these holes here? Yeah. See that hole? Yeah. There's one over here i tore my biceps picking him up and uh it's just nowadays you get cut and put in a sling for six months you know but i split the next day and went to japan for like eight or nine days and wrestled but you know it's just it was just the way it was back then
2: do Pete, have you ever t- said that you tore your biceps on that move yeah ah, i didn't know that one that's yeah. incredible yeah um do you don't you think Andre would be an unbelievable two hour documentary? I've always wanted to do a 30 for thirty on him. It seems like everybody has one awesome Andre story.
1: Yeah, it would be great, man. It would be great. I've spent a lot of time I, I got a lot of awesome Andre stories. Everybody who ever crossed paths
2: with Andre probably has three great stories yeah. about Andre, which is what you need in a documentary. You need people yeah. telling full stories, all that. So you got you got a little worn down, I'm guessing, from wrestling 400 times a year late 80s roll around you start phasing back a little you make a movie like how long did you think you were going to be able to keep wrestling at that level
1: oh well you know the whole vince had vince had a different mindset than his dad the first movie i ever made vince funded No whole part yeah i might have seen it a couple times so actually vince and i he came down to florida and I had—I actually was living on Reddington Beach at the time, not Clearwater. And like a block down, there was a Hilton Hotel. So at the time, my wife Linda, I said, you know, Vince and I are going to go spend some time together doing some business. So we checked into a hotel room, and we spent three days. We wrote No Holds Barred in three days. We wrote the whole movie. And then we hired, you know, him and I didn't know anything about Hollywood and movies at right. time, So we hired a scriptwriter to clean it up. Who not only did he clean it up, he took credit for writing the movie. Ooh! But Vince and I sat there and wrote this movie.
2: That's your first first uh, taste of how yeah. Hollywood actually works. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so once No Holds played out, you know, made it for practically a couple million bucks, and it generated uh, a ton of money overseas. And you know, it didn't. We didn't have the DVD things back in the day. It was the VHS stuff. But it's still. It still played for a couple of weeks through in the theaters domestically. And then it did really well internationally, you know, because of the wrestling that's piped in everywhere internationally. And that kind of led New Line Cinema to approach uh, uh, Vince McMahon and myself. And we did a couple other movies, Mr. Nanny and and, uh, Suburban Commando with New Line Cinema. At the time, New Line Cinema was just starting. And And those those three movies kind of put New Line Cinema on the map. You know, so then different things came along you know um tv series uh thunder in paradise and different movie parts and cameos you know i don't know if it had 17 or 18 or 1920 different movies cameos yeah. gremlins and spy hard and all these different movies i had little cameos in you know and um did a couple of movies for uh tnt yeah uh, whatever they were uh navy seal movies assault on devil's island so it was just always something And you were able to scale
2: back on all the wrestling you were doing, I'm sure. Yeah. As you got older.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, what I didn't realize was like towards the end of the 80s, and Vince and I never had a conversation, he pretty much in his mindset had got all the blood he could get out of the turnip. He thought that this whole Hulkamania thing was kind of like, you know, winding down, which, you know, there was about seven or eight, nine years of some, or actually more than that if you go back to the beginning with his dad, of this Hulk Hogan persona. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not supposed to last for decades after decades after decades after decades. There's supposed to be a new decade of superstars come along and replace us. Well, in the 90s, that didn't happen. You know, Vince and I... You must have secretly enjoyed that. Because they did try to... Yeah, I did. They did try to... I did, okay, I did. I finally admit it. (laughs) But the thing was... They did
2: bring a couple dudes out there. I mean, Ultimate Warrior was... Different than you, but it was the same sort of runs and has a lot of energy L- Lex Luger, stuff. Lex
1: Luger was supposed to be the new Hulk Hogan. That didn't work out. No. But uh, I don't know why I wasn't there. But, you know, Vince and I had a I key... have some ideas. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm not touching that one. All right, I won't touch it either. But anyway, you know, Vince and I decided to part ways. And then when I went to work for Ted Turner, I wanted to do the, the bad guy thing. I went in there as Hulk Hogan. So that was a whole master plan. No, not really. I, I went in there as the red and yellow Hulk Hogan to put Turner on the map, wrestling Flair, you know, and Mr. T and Shaq there the first night I won the belt from Flair. Yeah. And then, right about a year and a half into this thing, the tearing the shirt and the leg drop started getting old for the fans, and they started, to, you know, not responding that way. So, you know. Uh, I ended up turning into Hollywood Hulk Hogan and it just rejuvenated my whole career. I was on fire again. I mean, just crazy. So then I got another nine or ten years stretch out of that thing, you know. But Can we
2: we have that video? Can we see it?
1: I was prepared for this part too, of the conversation. Too much.
0: And then there was one. Oh, yeah. And it was Sting, and he didn't look too good.
1: All right, Hulk so Hulk here, Hulk here we go. So at this here. point, this is what Heenan says. Hulk Hogan
0: is in the
1: building. Get right Go get him, next Whose side about? is he on? Are you
2: about? So, you think he him a little bit? Well, because they knew there was a mystery third partner, right? But the crowd doesn't know.
1: Yeah, well, why would you, you, know, why would you throw that out there? <laughs>
0: uh oh. What is he Is he the third
1: man? He's the third man. I think he's the third
2: man. So he's just like think so? His, his, his buddy. So one of the reasons that so this is bashing the beach, Yeah. I may or may not have watched this live when it happened. Um, the crowd got so angry they just started throwing
1: stuff at you. Yeah, they were throwing bottles and batteries. And Has that ever happened in a match you had before? Uh, not to that level. You know, I've had people throw stuff at the bad guys, not me. You know, and they'll hit the kids in the crowd or the referee or me instead of the guy they're throwing at. But this was this got really crazy. So part of you must
2: be thinking, this is great, this worked. And then the other part's thinking, I don't want to die.
1: Yeah, I knew that uh, from this point on, leaving the building would mean getting attacked. They'd try to turn your car over when you're leaving the building. Like back in the day in the garden when I left in '78, eight, seventy 79. They'd, right. They, the fans were nuts, you know. But oh, yeah. they,
2: they got so mad at this. I was mad. I think I was like in my mid-20s and I was furious. <laughs> That's
1: great. It's like, how can he do this?
2: Um, all right, so how did your life change out of the ring after this happened?'ve been you'd been you know good guy, hero guy for 15 years. now all of a sudden you have a painted black beard and you're doing bad guy things. So what, what, how did people receive that outside?
1: Well, it, it got really weird yeah because we were so cool, they cheered us and, and it wasn't I mean they they hate us hated us at first, but then there was this cult following. that it was cool to be in the gray area. The lines got blurry between good and bad. And, you know, people like Sting were getting booed and Lex Luger was getting booed. And, you know, um, same thing happened when Hollywood Hulk Hogan went back to the WWE, you know, and I went in with the NWO. All of a sudden, the good guys that were there, established good guys, were getting booed when we came back. Right. So it was was pretty crazy. The lines got real blurry for a while. That's my favorite
2: subplot in wrestling when the bad guy becomes so much fun that actually the crowd kind of gravitates toward him and even the crowd kind of turns evil. Because that happened for Piper too and some, yeah. and some people in the 80s. Well, but. I
1: don't know if you've really taken a good listen to WrestleMania 18, but watch that match with me and The Rock and actually listen what's going on with the crowd. And
2: it flips. I remember when it happened. I haven't seen it in a while, though. It was intense. So they in flipped on The Rock. Big time. Is it, That's like the best thing you can do as a wrestler, right? But you he was can cool. turn the crowd. But he
1: was cool because he was in the ring with me. And you know, old school. He's old school. He's third generation. Yeah, in his blood. He knows. And the bad guy always leads. The heel. I don't know what they do now, but now back when I wrestled, the bad guy always led the match because it was up to you to keep the momentum and feel the crowd. You know, and it's a it's an art form. You know that you have to listen with your heart and your ears. So when things flipped, you know, um I said, "Settle down, brother. Let me just slow this dance down a little bit." So once again, I reached up and gaffed him in the eye with the old thumb and the eyeball or whatever I did. I don't know. And I started chopping meat. And the more I chopped meat, the more I started cheering. I'm going oh, s***. Oops. No, you can swear on this. That's great. I said, oh, man, this ain't working. Yeah. So we just kind of got it back to a back and forth thing. And we kind of were feeling out his fans and my fans. And finally, we got it on track to where it was 50-50. Because it was just so one-sided for the first five or six minutes. That sounds like this was your favorite match. Uh... It's not my favorite match, but it's, it's, it's we're talking about people cheering the bad guy. Yeah. you know I'm torn between that match and the one with Andre. The one with Andre is, if I had to say, what's the one match? If you could only have one match in your life, what would it be? It'd be Andre the Giant. There's no doubt in my life. If I could wrestle one match and never wrestle again, it'd be Andre. So WrestleMania 18 is your favorite match where you didn't tear both of your biceps at the end of it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the uh, thing was, WrestleMania 18, I was in there with two broken ribs, which was ridiculously stupid. You know, because I don't know if you know at the end when I'm shaking Rock's hand, I'm holding my ribs. You know, really bad. And then when he rock bottomed me a couple of times, I was holding my ribs, but I had had a uh, like a warm up match because I hadn't been in the ring for a while. Yeah. And so I told Vince, you know, I need to wrestle a couple of times before WrestleMania 18. So Vince booked me in Tampa. you know, Yeah. 20 minutes from my house at the University of South Florida, the Sun Dome, and I was wrestling Rikishi. Yeah. And so I was. I had Rikishi in the corner. You know, and was doing the Hollywood Hogan thing, beating him up a little bit. And uh, I said, when I go to turnbuckle you, reverse it, I'll hit, and then charge me, squash me. So, you know, I was in the ring having fun. So when I, when I went to throw him into the turnbuckle, he reversed. I hit the buckle, and now he's coming wide open to squash me. So when I hit the buckle, I kind of, like, forgot that I told him to squash me. Uh, I looked over at my kids, Nick and Brooke were in the front. i like, hey, guys, what's up? Thumbs up, and wham, I got whacked. <laughs> and I, I wasn't, like, flexed. Yeah, yeah. And Rikishi whacked me. It wasn't his fault. But two of my ribs got a little crack, and man, that hurts. And so, two weeks before WrestleMania, I'm going, "How am I going to get through this? How am I going to get through this?" But you do.
2: Mm. Well, we'll do this again. I have more questions. Okay. you'll come back, right? Yeah. this is fun.
1: Yeah, I love sitting here. This we had cool. clips. We talked about
2: That's stuff. Awesome. Yeah, plus have, you know what
1: you're talking about.
2: I have well, I I had a lot more stuff to ask you, but
1: no, it's not like you just no, you know, I jumped on the team yesterday. You actually know what you're talking about. You know more yeah. about this wrestling than most guys I talked to.
2: I do. To. I was there for. I was there for the majority of your career, of your that's awesome. The first stint, and then the, I had an illegal cable box during the Monday Night Wars during all the pay per views. So w- I would saw, you have the
1: card, the illegal card? A, a
2: guy named Big Al got it for us. He oh, paid really? him like five hundred dollars. So I saw every WCW, WWF, and ECW pay per view from like ninety five through zero.
1: Now for the nine ninety nine, brother. I know you can see them all again.
2: Well, they, do people understand that they could just get the channel? The WWE Network, and it's the cost of two pay-per-views? I don't mean to sound like I, I work for WWE because I don't, but I, think I don't that, know if people understand the math. I think they're starting to figure it out. Like don't pay for 12 pay-per-views. Just get the channel. Yeah. It's not rocket science.
1: It's All good, right, please come great. back. Thank you, brother. We'll, this is fun. We'll be with you tonight.
2: Yeah. I will I will see you tonight. Okay. Hopefully, uh, and good
1: luck. Hopefully, by the time people don't hear this, JBL won't have uh, close-lined me through the and be Spanish ca- national table. Be careful out there. Be careful out there. Because sometimes... Yeah. When you least expect it, someone can come flying across the table or yeah. go through the table. Oh yeah! So just don't get too comfortable out there. I mean, I, you need to get comfortable and get in your zone, but please have an extra set of eyes on because you never know. It gets crazy out there, and you know that.
2: We were in row one for SummerSlam, right in front of the Spanish announcers table, and I was with my son, and they were kind of they were like, "Is he okay to be?" You know, that's the Spanish announcers table, and I was kind of preparing. I'm like. Yeah, for whatever reason, it's a magnet. People just love going through the Spanish announcers table. He's like, why? What? I was like, "I look, I don't know. I'm not." But it was like the one match in wrestling history where nobody went through the Spanish announcers uh-huh. table. I think he's still disappointed. So yeah. that was it. I'm going to answer a trivia question. That's crazy. I was there the one time. Hulk Hogan, please Thank come you, back. Thanks for everything. Thank you. Back in the BS Report with more later this week. Thank you.
1: Uh-huh. So I get off. Thank you for downloading The B.S. Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at PodCenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.